This is Classic Lutheran Preaching on KNNA LP 95.7, Lincoln, Nebraska. This is Pastor John Schmidt with a reading of Martin Luther's sermon for the ninth Sunday after Trinity. This is from the John Nicholas Linker Collection, published in 1905 and reissued by Baker Bookhouse in 1983. The scripture text for this sermon is Luke 16, beginning at the first verse. And Jesus said also unto the disciples, There was a certain rich man who had his steward, and the same was accused unto him that he was wasting his goods. And he called him and said unto him, What is this that I hear of thee? Render the account of the stewardship, for thou canst no longer be steward. And the steward said within himself, What shall I do, seeing that my Lord taketh away the stewardship from me? I have not strength to dig, to beg I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that, when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. And calling to him each one of his Lord's debtors, he said to the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bond, and sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then said he to another, And how much owest thou? And he said, A hundred measures of wheat. He said unto him, Take thy bond, and write fourscore. And his Lord commended the unrighteous steward, because he had done wisely. For the sons of this world are for their own generation wiser than the sons of the light. And I say unto you, Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it shall fail they may receive you into the eternal tabernacles. Thus far our text. Although in my postals hitherto and in my little book, Christian Liberty and Good Works, I have taught very extensively how faith alone without works justifies, and good works are done first after we believe, that it seems I should henceforth politely keep quiet and give every mind and heart an opportunity to understand and explain all the gospel lessons for themselves. Yet I perceive that the gospel abides and prospers only among the few. The people are constantly dispirited and terrified by the passages that treat of good works, so that I see plainly how necessary it is either to write postals on each gospel lesson or to appoint sensible ministers in all places who can orally explain and teach these things. If this gospel be considered without the Spirit, by mere reason, it truly favors the priests and monks, and could be made to serve covetousness and establish one's own works. For when Christ says, Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, that when it should fail they may receive you into the eternal tabernacles, they force from it three points against our doctrine of faith, namely, first, against that we teach faith alone justifies and saves from sin. Second, that all good works ought to be gratuitously done to our neighbors out of free love. Third, that we should not put any value in the merits of saints or of others. Against our first proposition, they claim the Lord says here, Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness, just as though works should make us friends who previously were enemies. Against the second is what he says, that they may receive you into the eternal tabernacles, just as though we should do the work for our own sakes and benefit. And against the third they quote, the friends may receive us into the eternal tabernacles, just as though we should serve the saints and trust in them to get to heaven. For the sake of the weak we reply to these. Number one, 
the foundation must be maintained without wavering, that faith without any works, without any merit, reconciles man to God and makes him good, as St. Paul says to the Romans in chapter 3. But now apart from the law, righteousness of God hath been manifested, being witnessed by Moses and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ unto all them that believe. Paul at another place, namely chapter 4, says, To Abraham his faith was reckoned for righteousness, so also with us. Again, Romans 5, Being therefore justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Again, Romans 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. These and many more similar passages we must firmly hold and trust in them immovably, so that to faith alone, without any assistance of works, is attributed the forgiveness of sins and our justification. Take for an illustration the parable of Christ in Matthew 7. Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but the corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. Here you see that the fruit does not make the tree good, but without any fruit and before any fruit, the tree must be first good, or made good, before it can bear good fruit. As he says also in Matthew 12, Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree corrupt and its fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. Ye offspring of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? Thus it is the naked truth that a man must be good without good works and before he does any good works, and it is clear how impossible it is that a man should become good by works when he is not good before he does the good works. For Christ stands firm when he says, How can ye, being evil, speak good things? And hence follows, How can ye, being evil, do good things? Therefore the powerful conclusion follows, There must be something far greater and more precious than all good works, by which a man becomes pious and good, before he does good, just as he must first be in bodily health before he can labor and do hard work. This great and precious something is the noble word of God, which offers us in the gospel the grace of God in Christ. He who hears and believes this thereby becomes good and righteous. Wherefore it is called the word of life, a word of grace, a word of forgiveness. But he who neither hears nor believes it can in no way become good. For St. Peter says in Acts 15, And he made no distinction between us and them, cleansing their hearts by faith. For as the word is, so will the heart be, which believes and cleaves firmly to it. The word is a living, righteous, truthful, pure, and good word. So also the heart which cleaves to it must be living, just, truthful, pure, and good. What now shall we say of those passages which so strongly insist on good works as when the Lord says, Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. And in Matthew 25, For I was hungry, and you did not give me to eat. And many other similar passages, which sound all together as though we had to become good by works. We answer thus, There are some who hear and read the gospel and what is said by faith, and immediately conclude they have formed a correct notion of what faith is. They do not think that faith is anything else than something which is altogether in their own power to have or not to have as any other natural human work. Hence, when in their hearts they begin to think and say, Verily, the doctrine is right and I believe it is true, then they immediately think faith is present. But as soon as they see and feel in themselves and others that no change has taken place, 
and that the works do not follow and they remain as before in their old ways, then they conclude that faith is not sufficient, that they must have something more and greater than faith. Behold how they then seize the opportunity and cry and say, O oh, faith alone does not do it. Why? Oh, because there are so many who believe and are no better than before, and have not changed their minds at all. Such people are those whom Jude in his epistle calls dreamers, who deceive themselves with their own dreams. For what are such thoughts of theirs which they call faith but a dream, a dark shadow of faith, which they themselves have created in their own thoughts, by their own strength, without the grace of God? They become worse than they were before, for it happens with them, as the Lord says in Matthew 9, Neither do men put new wine into old wineskins, else the skins burst and the wine is spilled. That is, they hear God's word and do not lay hold of it. Therefore they burst and become worse. But true faith of which we speak cannot be manufactured by our own thoughts, for it is solely a work of God in us, without any assistance on our part. As Paul says to the Romans in chapter 5, it is God's gift and grace obtained by one man, Christ. Therefore faith is something very powerful, active, restless, effective, which at once renews a person and again regenerates him, and leads him altogether into a new manner and character of life, so that it is impossible not to do good without ceasing. For just as natural as it is for the tree to produce fruit, so natural is it for faith to produce good works. And just as it is quite unnecessary to command the tree to bear fruit, so there is no command given to the believer, as Paul says, nor is urging necessary for him to do good, for he does it of himself, freely and unconstrained. Just as he of himself, without command, sleeps, eats, drinks, puts on his clothes, hears, speaks, goes, and comes. Whoever has not this faith talks but vainly about faith and works, and does not himself know what he says or whither it tends, for he has not received it. He juggles with lies and applies the scriptures where they speak of faith and works to his own dreams and false thoughts, which is purely a human work. Whereas the scriptures attribute both faith and good works not to ourselves, but to God alone. Is not this a perverted and blind person? Such people teach we cannot do a good deed of ourselves, and that in their presumption go to work and arrogate to themselves the highest of all the works of God, namely faith, to manufacture it themselves out of their own perverted thoughts. Wherefore I have said that we should despair of ourselves and pray to God for faith as the Apostle did. Luke 17. When we have faith, we need nothing more, for it brings with it the Holy Spirit, who then teaches us not only all things, but also establishes us firmly in it, and leads us through death and hell to heaven. Now observe, we have given these answers, that the scriptures have such passages concerning works on account of such dreamers and self-invented faith. Not that man should become good by works, but that man should thereby prove and see the difference between false and true faith. For every faith is right, it does good. If it does no good, it is then certainly a dream and a false idea of faith. So, just as the fruit on the tree does not make the tree good, but nevertheless outwardly proves and testifies that the tree is good, as Christ says in Matthew 7, By their fruits you shall know them, thus we should also learn to know faith by its fruits. From this, you see, there is a great difference between being good and to be known as good, or to become good and to prove and show that you are good. 
Faith makes good, but works prove the faith and goodness to be right. Thus the scriptures speak in the plain way which prevails among the common people, as when a father says unto his son, Go and be merciful, good, and friendly to this or to that poor person, by which he does not command him to be merciful, good, and friendly, but because he is already good and merciful, he requires that he should also show and prove it outwardly toward the poor by his act, in order that the goodness which he has in himself may also be known to others and be helpful to them. So you should explain all passages of Scripture referring to works, that God thereby desires to let the goodness received in faith express and prove itself and become a benefit to others, so that false faith may become known and rooted out of the heart. For God gives no one his grace that it may become inactive and accomplish nothing good, but in order that it may bear interest, and by being publicly known and proved externally, draw everyone to God, as Christ says, Matthew 5. Even so, let your light shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Otherwise it would be but a buried treasure in a hidden light. But what profit is there in either? Yea, goodness does not only thereby become known to others, but we ourselves also become certain that we are honest, as St. Peter says in his second letter, chapter 1. Wherefore, brethren, give the more diligence to make your calling and election sure. For where works do not follow, a man cannot know whether his faith is right. Yea, he may be certain that his faith is a dream, and not right as it should be. Thus Abraham became certain of his faith, and that he feared God when he offered up his son. As God by the angel said to Abraham in Genesis 22, Now I know, that is, it is manifest, that thou fearest God, seeing thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. Then abide by the truth, that man is internally, in spirit before God, justified by faith alone without works, but externally and publicly before men and himself he is justified by works, that he is at heart an honest believer and pious. The one you may call a public or outward justification, the other an inner justification, yet in the sense that the public or external justification is only the fruit the result and proof of the justification in the heart, that a man does not become just thereby before God, but must previously be just before him. So you may call the fruit of the tree the public or outward good of the tree, which is only the result and proof of its inner and natural goodness. This is what St. James means when he says in his epistle, chapter 2, faith without works is dead, that is, as the works do not follow, it is a sure sign that there is no faith there, but only an empty thought and dream which they falsely call faith. Now we understand the word of Christ. Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. That is, prove your faith publicly by your outward gifts, by which you win friends, that the poor may be witnesses of your public work, that your faith is genuine. For mere external giving in itself can never make friends unless it proceed from faith, as Christ rejects the alms of the Pharisees in Matthew 6, that they thereby make no friends because their heart is false. Thus no heart can ever be right without faith, so that even nature forces the confession that no work makes one good, but that the heart must first be good and upright. Christ means this when in Matthew 10 he says, Freely you receive, freely give. For just as Christ with all his works did not merit heaven for himself, because it was his before, 
but he served us thereby not regarding or seeking his own but these two things, namely our benefit and the glory of God his Father. So also should we never seek our own in our own good works, either temporal or eternal, but glorify God by freely and gratuitously doing good to our neighbor. This St. Paul teaches the Philippians in chapter 2. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, counted not the being on an equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of his servant, being made in the likeness of men, and being and found as a man, he humbled himself, becoming obedient even unto death, yea, the death of the cross. That is, for himself he had enough, since in him dwell all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and yet he served us and became our servant. And this is the cause, for since faith justifies and destroys sin before God, so it gives life and salvation. And now it would be a lasting shame and disgrace, and injurious to faith, if any one by his life and works should desire to obtain what faith already possesses and brings with it. Just as Christ would have only disgraced himself had he done good in order to become the Son of God and Lord over all things which he already was before, so faith makes us God's children, as John 1 says, but as many as received him to them he gave the right to become the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. But if they are children, then they are heirs, as St. Paul says in Romans 8 and Galatians 4. How then can we do anything to obtain the inheritance which we already have by faith? But what shall we say of the passages that insist on a good life for the sake of an external reward, as this one does? Make to yourselves friends by means of the mammon of unrighteousness. And in Matthew 19, But if thou wouldst enter into life, keep the commandments. And Matthew 6, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. We will say this, that those who do not know faith only speak and think of the reward as of works, for they think that the same rule obtains here as in human affairs, that they must earn the kingdom of heaven by their works. These, too, are dreams and false views, of which Malachi says in chapter 1, O oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors, that you might not kindle fire on mine altar in vain. They are slaves and greedy self-enjoying hirelings, and day laborers who receive the reward here on earth like the Pharisees with their praying and fasting, as Christ says in Matthew 6. However, in regard to the eternal reward, it is thus. Inasmuch as works naturally follow faith, as I said, it is not necessary to command them, for it is impossible for faith not to do them without being commanded, in order that we may learn to distinguish the false from the true faith. Hence the eternal reward also follows true faith naturally, without any seeking, so that it is impossible that it should not, although it may never be desired or sought, yet it is appropriated and promised in order that true and false believers may be known, and that everyone may understand that a good life follows naturally of itself. Now when Christ says, Make to yourselves friends, lay up for yourselves treasures, and the like, you see that he means, Do good, and it will follow of itself, without your seeking that you will have friends, find treasures in heaven, and receive a reward. But your eyes must simply be directed to a good life and care nothing about the reward, but be satisfied to know that, and be assured that it will follow and let God see to that. For those who look for a reward become lazy and unwilling laborers and love the reward more than the work, yea, they become enemies of work. In this way God's will also becomes hateful. 
who has commanded us to work, and hence God's command and will must finally become burdensome to such a heart. Thirdly, this is so clear that it needs no proof, for how can the saints receive us into heaven as everyone himself must depend on God alone to receive him into heaven, and every saint scarcely has enough for himself? This the wise virgins prove who did not wish to give of their own oil to the foolish virgins, Matthew 25, and St. Peter says in his first epistle, chapter 4, the righteous is scarcely saved. And Christ in John 3 says, And no one hath ascended into heaven but he that hath descended out of heaven, even the Son of Man who is in heaven. What then shall we reply to make to yourselves friends out of the mammon of unrighteousness? That is, when it shall fail, they may receive you into the eternal tabernacles. We say this, that this passage says nothing about the saints in heaven, but of the poor and needy on earth who live among us. As though he would say, Why do you build churches, make saints, and serve my mother, St. Peter, St. Paul, and other departed saints? They do not need this or any other service of yours. They are not your friends, but friends of those who lived in their days, and to whom they did good. But do service to your friends, that is, the poor who live in your time and among you, your nearest neighbors who need your help. Make them your friends with your mammon. Again, we must not understand this reception into the eternal tabernacles as being done by man. However, man will be an instrument and witness to our faith, exercised and shown in their behalf, on account of which God receives us into the eternal tabernacles. For thus the scriptures are accustomed to speak when they say, Sin condemns, faith saves, which means sin is the cause why God condemns, and faith is the cause why he saves. As man also is at all times accustomed to say, Your wickedness will bring you misfortune, which means your wickedness is the cause and source of your misfortune. Thus our friends receive us into heaven when they are the cause, through our faith shown to them, of entering heaven. This is enough on these three points. In this connection, we will explain three questions that we may better understand this gospel. What is mammon? Why is it unrighteous? And why Christ commands us to imitate the unjust steward who worked for his own gain as his master's expense, which without doubt is unjust and a sin. First, mammon is a Hebrew word meaning riches or temporal goods, namely, whatever anyone owns over and above what his needs require, and with which he can benefit others without injuring himself. Second, it is called unrighteous, not because obtained by injustice and usury, for with unrighteous possessions no good can be done, for it must be returned, as Isaiah 61 says, For I, Jehovah, love justice, I hate robbery with iniquity. And Solomon in Proverbs 3 says, Withhold not good from them to whom it is due, when it is in the power of thy hand to do it. But it is called unrighteous because it stands in the service of unrighteousness, as St. Paul says to the Ephesians chapter 5, that the days are evil, although God made them and they are good, but they are evil because wicked men misuse them, in which they do many sins, offend, and endanger souls. In the third place, it has been a matter of very great concern to many to know who the unjust steward is whom Christ so highly recommends. This, in short, is the simple answer. Christ does not command unto us the steward on account of his unrighteousness, but on account of his wisdom and his shrewdness, that with all his unrighteousness he so wisely helps himself. 
as though I should urge someone to watch, pray, and study, and would say, Look here, murderers and thieves wake at night to rob and steal. Why then do you not wake to pray and study? By this I do not praise murderers and thieves for their crimes, but for their wisdom and foresight that they so wisely obtain the goods of unrighteousness. Again, as though I would say, an unchaste woman adorns herself with gold and silk to tempt young boys. Why will you not also adorn yourself with faith to please Christ? By this I do not praise fornication, but the diligence employed. In this way Paul compares Adam and Christ, saying, Adam was a figure of him that was to come, Romans 5. Although from Adam we have nothing but sin, and from Christ nothing but grace, yet these are greatly opposed to each other. But the comparison and type consist only in the consequence, or birth, not in virtue or vice. As to birth, Adam is the father of all sinners, so Christ is the father of all the righteous. And as all sinners come from one Adam, so all the righteous come from one Christ. Thus the unjust steward is here typified to us only in his cunning and wisdom, who knows so well how to help himself, that we should also consider in the right way the welfare of our souls as he did in the wrong way, that of his body and life. With this we will let it suffice and pray God for grace. Amen. This has been a presentation of classical Lutheran preaching from the sermons of Martin Luther, the John Nicholas Linker Collection of 1905, and reprinted by Baker Bookhouse in 1983.